0: I want to give a big shout out to the fine people who are supporting the Patreon. Not only are they making this happen, which uh, certainly I feel very supported by that process, uh, but also they've started getting all sorts of great new things. I've been recording extra Patreon exclusives with the guests who've been on. Uh, We've had Jen Zart on talking about some astrological aspects Uh, We've had Al Cummins talking about geomancy and pizza magic. And uh, we've had the Stacking Skulls crew on talking about their musical influences, both spiritually and ridiculously in their lives. And all of this stuff is only for people who are supporting the Patreon. So please consider it. Think about how many hours of this podcast you've listened to and jump over to Patreon.com slash the Hermit's Lamp. If you pledge $5 an episode, you will get access to all of that good stuff, but there are perks at many levels as well. Thanks for supporting it. Enjoy the episode. Welcome to another installment of the Hermit's Lamp podcast. I'm here today with Aiden Wachter. And, uh, you know, I, I feel like Aiden's a person who needs no introduction, but uh, in case this is the first time, uh, you've run across them, let me say, uh, Aiden's been on before by himself. Uh, Aiden is part of the Stacking Skulls, which is the uh, mythological magical band made up of uh, a few of the people who come on here on the regular. Uh, we get to and talk about magic. And uh, Aiden is a talismanic wizard and genius who produces amazing jewelry. And uh, Aiden just has a new book out called Six Ways, which is... Uh, as I'm sure we'll talk about in the episode. Uh, the book that I wish that I had received when I was starting and uh, and the book that I wish I had written if I was going to write a book on magic. So it's, it's all those good things. Um, you know, I, I, I gave you a bit of an intro, but for folks who don't know you, Aiden, um, who are you? What's, what's, what are you about?
1: <laughs> what am I about? Um, I've just been at the magic thing for a long time uh and uh in a kind of weird pattern that that i can see from now i can kind of and i imagine this is true of a lot of people i can see at this point kind of the whole chain that got me here (laughs) and uh on top of the jewelry work the kind of intention that i have is to kind of transmit as much of that as is useful to people uh, Mm -hmm. without all the detours that Really, we're just mostly time wasters. Um, And, uh, yeah, I live on a little micro ranch in the mountains of New Mexico where most of the time it's really windy, but not today. (laughs) It actually rained for the first time in, like, months. Uh Uh, With a bunch of chickens and a a duck who's about to hatch, a pile of ducks if that works out, I think, today or tomorrow. And some goats and some dogs and my wife. And uh, I play music. I write some and I make a lot of silver
0: work. So nice. So, I mean, somebody was asking before this episode, uh, was recorded. Um, you know, what's, what's the move like? Because, you know, you've been there for a while, but it's, has it been a year yet?
1: We've been in this house for just a little bit over a year now, about a year and a third. Um, yeah, the, the last place was a kind of weird one because it was kind of in a a high-end homeowner association zone of uh, kind of Santa Fe suburbs, mm-hmm. which is really not our scene. <laughs> we laughed that that house was the house that all of our parents would have been really proud if we had actually uh, acquired intentionally because it was huge and sure. fancy and was totally not us. So we're in this tiny little 700-square-foot casita uh Here, I was thinking about that question, and it's a little strange because due to just setting up kind of the ranchita here and and getting everything set up and then my surgery and all that, we haven't really been out a lot in this area. So to answer kind of what New Mexico has done is really like, what has this two and a half acres done? (laughs) Uh, And so it's not super New Mm -hmm. Mexico-like, perhaps in a general thing. But it's been really good. It's uh, it's really quiet and it's really full of animals in a way that we didn't expect. There is more kind of songbird activity than I've ever seen anywhere that I've lived. We've got a huge raptor population. Uh, we're in like the uh, essentially what is like the appears to be the raven preserve Uh <laughs> Part of New Mexico there's probably one hundred and fifty ravens that clearly live within you know a quarter mile of us, so there 's always ravens
0: in the yard and they come and mess with our dogs um, yeah I mean how did you find so like I think about where I live right you know I mean where I live and where the shop is you know, and i the shop's been where it is I mean I was across the street before this, so if we include that i 've been in the same in both places about six or seven years right and you know for me so many of my spiritual practices kind of end up being kind of connected to spirits of place and and places where the spirits that I work with like to show up you know so has there been a change in your spiritual practice with this move you know before you move this way
1: you know that's a a somewhat strange question I was thinking about this um, a lot in relationship to the book because there's kind of a really big uh, move towards kind of spirits of place and kind of the, the bioregional animism that Marcus McCoy has uh, coined that term and brought up. And uh, I have some sense of that. But having moved as much as I have, uh, which I figured out a couple months ago, I've moved 37 times. Uh, and I'm 51. So, uh, and so a lot of those, I was all in the same place. So, um, it definitely changes my sense of things. Like my overall perceptions change a lot when I move, but the spirits that I work with are pretty consistent. Um, and that's mainly, I think, because I do most of my work in trance and so things change over there, but that's not really related to place the the, the places that I go are very, are fairly consistent and the shifts that happen there happen over really long periods of time. Um, and those things come with me, uh, and that stuff doesn't change based on where I live so far that I've seen.
0: I can Uh, see that. I mean, for me, um, so much of my work, my my work, my work sort of out in the woods and whatever is connected to the spirits of those places for sure. But it's, but it's also as often as not connected to like, you know, I can go find a willow tree anywhere. I mean, you know, in the greater sense of, of Toronto and the surrounding areas and many other places. And once I'm hanging out with the willow tree, I can do willow tree stuff, you know? Right. So like, it tends to be more, uh, tied to feature and tied to, uh, species of plants or things like that. than it tends to be, um, you know, like I want to go find somewhere really swampy. I want to go, you know, I like, I, I love the me and the red wing blackbirds have a thing, and, you know, so I need somewhere that's marshy and they're going to be there then. But it, you know, the places that I tend to go, Tend to be predominantly because they are the most convenient from where I'm living or working, right? Versus versus explicitly tied to the land,
1: right? Right.
0: So yeah, I can see that. The and and
1: then the I yeah, and I kind of get that with the animals. So for me, like the ravens have always been a big deal for me anyway, Um, Mm. and so that's a a presence here. Um, And we are we have lured in an insane rabbit population that is basically merging with our chicken flock now, Uh, and that you'll look out and they're all hanging out at the feeders or they'll be sharing the waterers. And uh, and I have a thing with the rabbits too. So they're kind of my underworld creature. Um, And then the other thing that's, that did happen here is, uh, and I have, I have to go back. I haven't spent enough time there is, you know, there's this really ancient Guadalupe, shrine here uh that's i don't know when that i mean it's 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 old i want to say it's you know it's more than 300 years old i think um uh and like that place is one of the most intense power spots i've ever been in Uh, like that's been continuous use for hundreds of years um and that's yeah that's an amazing place that was I mean, I know that that changed some of that. That certainly affected me. Was spending a few hours in there. Uh, there's another church that's dedicated to Saint Michael, but I haven't been up there yet. Those are both in Santa Fe, um, and uh, but yeah, I mean, it, New Mexico is really interesting because it's such a different place than anywhere I've I've ever lived, uh, and especially kind of down where we are, which is really rural. We're not in.
2: Mm-hmm. You know,
1: we're not in anything like Hoity Toity. Uh we ha- we have a we have a Walmart, a gas station and three or four feed stores. Uh, right. you know, we're the, we live in the neighborhood where you see, you know, somebody's escaped horse running down the road, uh with right. people chasing. <laughs> That's a, so it's uh I love the spaciousness and the uh the open it. it's it, it does remind me a lot of Tennessee where we were, except that I'm not as wrecked by allergies as I was in Tennessee, uh, and so that awesome. that openness definitely is really helpful. The yeah. clear skies
0: basically all the time it is
1: really helpful for me.
0: So, since since you last since you were last on the podcast, you know, mm-hmm. because you were on, the the Stack and the Skulls crew is on end of January, early February. You have this book that came out, and I don't okay. usually do book episodes because I think that they're not that exciting. Totally. But your book has been super fascinating to me. Um because I because I think that it represents such a grounded introduction mm-hmm. to magic and such a grounded introduction that is not uh not not invested in making you believe something. Mm-hmm. Because so many books are, you know, they're like <laughs> sign up for the golden dawn and we'll give you the special apron and you'll, you'll be a believer sign up for this or sign up for that. Or, you know, what, like, you know, and not that there's anything wrong with having a belief system or, or expressing that belief system, but I feel like your work is sort of devoid of that in, in an overt way that I think is really fascinating.
2: Yeah. I think that it was really
1: interesting to me, and, and, and I'm glad that that comes through because that was certainly the intent, um, that when the book started, when the book kicked up, and it kicked up really fast, uh, the framework was took about two weeks to write, and then it just took me another two years to finish, basically. Um, <laughs> uh, anytime I would try and go even vaguely into let's talk about how you should do something <laughs> like I would just get kicked by the allies. We're like, that is not why we want you to do this. Like do what you would do. Mm-hmm. And, um, there wasn't a lot of that to begin with, but it really did get weeded out pretty aggressively. Um, cause I don't think it's generally relevant to the practice of magic. Uh, I talk about the general and the specific in the book in a few places, and i don't go incredibly deep into it but that's kind of my take is we tend to get lost in the specific in a lot of our conversations or books or whatever about magic um which is great for the people that are are doing the exact same kind of work but it makes it kind of difficult for somebody that's not that doesn't that don't really fit that mold to figure out what parts you can use and what mm-hmm. parts are really important, if it's really important that I know all these names or all these correspondences or all of these, uh, or that I work with these specific gods, does that mean that I can't do this work? Mm-hmm. Uh, and I was definitely looking to counter that.
0: Uh, yeah, I think it's, I think it's great because you know, I mean we, we have we have a lot of conversations going on, going on around sort of appropriation and you know what do we do with? uh you know other people's histories and other people's spirits and other traditions and stuff like that and and i think that it's i think that it's really sticky to to sort of go through and read a bunch of books and cherry pick all the pieces that you want you know and and kind of put them together because it might work and you might unlock something or you might end up with a lot of trouble or you might be fooling yourself or you might just rub all those spirits the wrong way and it's really uh kind of arrogant of us as humans to sort of think that we can understand all of that in a way that kind of goes beyond that, you know totally and when I say that and I say that as a person who who it points to my past has been arrogant in those ways, you know, mm-hmm. and, and Me too. do several things have been like, huh, that would have been way better had I not done that thing or if I'd done that <laughs> way or whatever right you know right, yeah.
1: Well, and I think, too, I think that there's a big part in there, which is, you know, kind of, I I keep blasting out this thing from Ido Portal, who's kind of a crazy movement guy with a capoeira background, but has gone all over the place, uh, where he talks about that there's a point where information becomes too much and it's no longer helpful. Uh, And he means that in a developmental sense, like learning more data (laughs) more or less, more systems, more theories, at some point actually stops helping you. Uh, yeah. And it kind of turns on you. Uh, and so I think that that was a present thought in the book too, is like, what's, how much can I give you? It's kind of why the, you know, it's the, the title of Approaches and Entries is, how how many different doors to, to interesting spaces that are helpful In my experience, can I get you through? Mm -hmm. And then I don't want to give you much more information than that. Because if I do, that's going to color what happens when you walk through them. Mm -hmm. And so instead, I'd rather have you walk into that space and and go, okay, what goes on in here? And see, because what goes on in there for you is likely to be really different than what goes on in there for me or for Andrew or anybody else. Unless we come in with such a clear picture of what is supposed to happen in there that we that that just shades everything and we kind of get what we expect uh, versus what might be way better for us to get in there.
0: Yeah. Yeah, it's amazing the, um, the shaping influence that our consciousness plays on things, right? And our preconceptions and so on, you know? Mm-hmm. And I think that this sort of notion you know, I, I shared a video the other day. Um, I'm, I'm working on a new tarot deck and it doesn't have a title. Um, but like, so, so I finished, I finished my Arisha tarot deck and handed it into Llewellyn in April. And as I was doing the final steps of that, I created, uh, uh, and that the Arisha deck was very, very structured and very, very thought out, you know, and, and inspired when I was actually doing the art, but like the, but so much of it. Sorry for that brief interruption. Um, uh, uh, And then I created this sort of surrealist, very dream inspired black and white deck. And then I realized what I wanted to do was just like basically slot paint around, make something really bright and colorful. So I've been making this, this deck and, um, uh, I was working on the judgment card, which is what I shared recently. Mm-hmm. And as I was sort of like working on it and sort of allowing something to emerge, I was like, "Why do we have to see the angel? Why? Why do we even think the angel looks like us? Why? Why is the angel anything other than like light and motion? You know, and Right. sound, right? You know, and 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 I think that we have so many notions about they they look this way, they look that way, they." You know, have this shape or that shape, and and yet, in my experience, it's not true. And my experience is that they they are so utterly other that we that we create that layer on top of them so we can interface with it. But even that's not required, you know.
1: Right. Well, it's funny. I I have this very, if we were to talk image. I have a there's a a, an entity that I visit in a southern place. That's this fire spirit it's kind of like a, a traditional, I would think, positive view of Lucifer. Like, look, this very fiery, bright, intense being. Um, very masculine. Uh, and uh, for the last, I don't know, five months, half the time if I go into that space, he looks like that. And half the time, he looks like Gary Newman's daughter, Persia, who's like this 12-year-old blonde girl that's in his, if you go and watch the My Name is Ruin video by Gary Newman. She's the girl in there. And uh, so obviously, this came from me. (laughs) There's no reason that this thing has watched this video. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, And it clearly just kind of grabbed that image as something that it liked to present as. Or I just overlaid that image that somehow there's energy there. It doesn't really matter. But yeah. it was really helpful in some ways, I think, to just realize, like, yeah, this is, this is, the, this is my avatar uh, in, in, uh, in the old RPGs or whatever, right? I, yeah. I have got, like, my little image. And that's what we're generally interacting with. Um, I deal with a, a number of spirits that change all the time. And like, there's just, it's either like there's something in the eyes or if they speak, I know, or sometimes there's just a vibe that they give off, but that they've never been the same thing twice. And if I come in thinking, oh, this is an angel that has wings or whatever, I may not have been able to see all of these different aspects. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I'm not sure whether those aspects are more important just as to my own self or to them or whatever, but it does leave it really, it leaves it it kind of keeps you from instilling at least it keeps me from instilling dogma about it Mm -hmm. whereas if I said you're going to walk into this space and you're going to meet this you know fiery being who's a slender man six feet tall well muscled right the kind of standard shit you see in the uh, Mm -hmm. old stuff and you walk in and like no you see this 12 year old girl in a kind of ratty shift with you know so white painted cross on her forehead do you not realize that that's the thing that you're supposed to be probably right because that's not what it looks like
0: so how do you how do you how do you verify or do you verify who you're talking to then
1: <laughs> well i'm a little weird on that sense from what i understand talking to people almost nothing that i work with has a name um, and the few times I've tried to get names out of most of them, they don't give them to me. They'll either give me a title, mm-hmm. which they're really clear is a title, um, or they just like make something up. Uh, um, call me Steve. <laughs> yeah, call me Steve. Mm-hmm. <laughs> totally. Uh, I just look for how useful what I'm getting from them is, and then over time, is it consistent with them? Right. Uh, so there's a, a being that I think I've mentioned before when we're talking that I work with called, it's called the the night that I call the night mother. Um, and she's always functioning the same with me. Uh, but again, some of the kind of allies that I've met through her are also what I kind of refer to as collective or hive beings. And we've talked about that before. So I'm not certain that she's not, you know, uh, kind of again an avatar to a collective she doesn't feel that way she feels very solid and there's links to a lot of different deities that i could say this is you know on the continuum with with these other kind of particular goddess figures um
0: i think i think that's actually a really interesting point if you don't mind me segueing here for a second yeah go ahead you know there's there's always this question that i run into right because and 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 let me start by saying, hey, I, I, whatever people do is whatever people do. Like you know, neither I don't think either of us are here to 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 neither judge nor claim to know the, the ultimate truth, right? Oh hell no. <laughs> um, but like, there's this, but there's this sort of um, point of tension that happens because I practice a uh, traditional religious practice, and because I have such a background in magic and chaos magic and other traditions like that. And because I still practice spirit-based magic and stuff, mostly mostly around my business and around my clients, you know, and for my clients. Um, but, you know, like people have these experiences where they, where they say, you know, all of this, this Arisha spoke to me, or I saw this spirit or whatever, right? And I think that there's this openness in your approach, which I really think is super smart which is to sort of say, yeah, it's a spirit from, like, that collection or from that, like, direction or from those kinds of things, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, As opposed to sort of leap into this sort of assumption that, you know, Zeus himself strode out from Olympus, wherever that might be, and came to see you. Yeah, maybe it was Zeus. Maybe it was a Zeus-like thing. Maybe it was a a spirit related energetically to that, you know? Um, You know, and, and because so many people have interactions with these different spirits and yet, um, and, and yet, you know, certainly from a traditional point of view, um, the, the belief is that, that they are not those spirits themselves, that those, that the Orishas themselves, uh, only, only, uh, generally speak through their priestcraft, you know? Right. So then what's going on with all these other people who are having some kinds of experiences especially where those experiences carry truth or carry through in some way. Right. Right. And I think with this idea that there are, you know, there are certain spirits or deities or whatever we want to call them. And then there are kind of, kind of like when we go read the, the Goetia and stuff, you know, <laughs> <laughs> there's this person and they've got 300 governors and they've got 26 servants and they got, you know, this, that, whatever. Right. Right. And to, to think that we've gotten so cleanly and clearly, to the top of the to the top of that order, you know, is somewhat presumptuous, especially in the absence of um clearly definable magical process to get there. You know? Right. Like if you're gonna call Belial, well there are documents and there are ways to go about it and there you know and, and then that seems way more likely. But to think that Belial is out like just strolling around and bumps into you on the street and wants to have a conversation with you maybe not so much, but maybe a spirit from that crew, you know, or do you disagree with me? No,
1: think? I actually do. And I mean, that's, that's where I kind of, that whole think is what led me into the kind of what I refer to in the book as biological animism at one point is mm-hmm. so I go, no, like I've got, you know, I'm made of these ungodly number of different types of cells and different structures. Yeah. And a lot of them do basically the same thing. Right, so all my motor neurons are doing the same thing they're doing it in different parts of my body, and they're connected to different uh structures, so when they do that same thing, <laughs> different things happen right but so I began thinking about the entities that I was kind of interacting with in that sense, like you know again this is will will probably not be comfortable for some folks, but if we kind of view that the crossroads is this extensively spread thing, whether we, if, especially if we add in all the structures that are like it. So if we look at the tree, if we look at uh, the center posts in some religions and some forms of uh, shamanism, and if we say all these things are crossroads, like they're kind of cognates of that, right. Yeah. Um, they serve a similar function, Right. And so it makes sense to me that all of those beings that we find wed to that idea in all of these different cultures are probably of a type to some degree. Um, and this isn't to say that that you don't find individual things. I, I, I don't know enough to say that that's not the case. And I think it probably is. Uh, I'm not saying they're all the same, which is one of the things that you get in uh, some arguments, which is not the one that I make at all. But um like, I know that my work is highly connected to that space. Mm. Uh, and I, if I look at the kind of spirits that I operate with, a lot of them operate within that function. Uh, and they do show. It's very different. Um, but, yeah, it's like, there's a thing that I interact with that is very woden like but yeah, I don't know that that's woden uh and uh you know uh I had a really interesting uh experience in trance a couple of years ago in relationship to that specific thing, and the another being that I dealt with told me to go find a Woden hmm.
2: uh,
1: and ask my question to the Woden that I found. <laughs> and I kind of asked for clarity on that and they were just like really clear about it. Like yeah. you just, you don't so worry about it. Find one.
2: Anyway. If you
1: go find one, they all do the same thing more or less was the idea. Well, right. Any of them will be able to help you out.
0: Yeah.
1: Uh, and again, it's, it depends on what you come with. I don't, I didn't come with something that said this is one deity that is mm-hmm. uh, 100% discreet from all other beings. Uh, and therefore, you know, it's a, there's a lot of silversmiths. <laughs> there's a lot of magicians. There's sure. a lot of, and it's not necessarily that you're always going to need that one in specific to help you.
0: And, uh, and it's not like all magicians are the same category either. Right. Like, right. Oh, you know? Yeah.
1: Yeah. You know, but yeah, there's a certain point where something's someone's gonna say, Yeah, you should go talk to a, a goetic magician <laughs> or you should go talk to someone that uh works with the orishas. because uh, they'll they'll be able to help you the best in this particular situation. Yeah. Uh you know. To me that just seems pragmatic and, and in my experience it's been consistent. I don't know that it's the truth or anything like that, but it's been consistent. Yeah.
0: Who knows what that is, right? <laughs> I'm going to leave that for another time.
1: Yep, absolutely.
0: So, uh, one, one of the questions, though, as soon as we're talking about going and visit spirits, right? Um, one someone on one of the commented on one of the Facebook posts about this podcast that they were curious about how they could deepen their trance, you know, mm-hmm. and how how do you how do you get deeper, you know? And I think that really that's part of the whole spectrum of like how do you get there faster, how do you get there easier. How do you go further? How do you stay there longer? Like, right. What, what, what kind of what kind of advice do you have for people trying to say?
1: So, I only can really speak to my own experience and that I've helped a few people with this thing. I'm not. Mm-hmm. I've done a little bit of teaching, but not a lot, so I don't have a vast body of students or something that I can say this always works. Um, so I have no idea if this always works. It might. Um, the two things that, or the first thing I would say has to do with the speed issue and and that is to slow down. And that doesn't mean not to try and get deeper now, but as you go in, slow the whole process down. Um so like at the point that you get relaxed enough to go in uh through whatever kind of induction you use, do that for a longer period of time and to see if that will settle you further out. So uh, for me, I do almost all of my trance work flat on my back. And I mentioned it in the, the, uh, the book. But one of the things that I find really helps is I lay pillows over my body and that that weight kind of holding me down seems to do something to help me separate more from my body sensations. I don't have It keeps me from wanting to kind of wiggle my toes and do stuff like that. It's not like I'm always buried or anything, but that definitely has helped. And so slowing that process of getting in to me is always a good thing. And then once you get in to really do what you can to kind of intensify the sensoria of whatever it is you're getting, and this may be visual, it may not be visual. I have both visual and non-visual stuff that goes on this way. And so we'll just assume that this is a visual thing that you've got it to the place where you actually can get a sense of things. And for me, this is not all, I I always, I never know how to describe it, but it's like vision. Uh Uh, I don't have the internal space that I'm always seeing everything like I'm seeing you on the screen, but I have a clear sense of what things look like. And I don't know if that makes sense to anybody that's not been there, but.
0: Well, I find for me personally, I um, find that I was pursuing that site piece a lot mm-hmm. a long time ago and, and, and got quite far with it. And to be honest, now I've largely abandoned it. Right. Like, I'm like, man, it's, it's so much work to get to that place. I could actually, I realized at some point that I could just kind of know instead. And I like that a lot better because I'm like, I just kind of know. And if I need visual information, I can receive it as sort of a blending of sight and knowing. Um, But it means, especially because like I'm doing a lot of this work, sort of sitting with clients and doing readings and sliding in and out of these spaces. It's so much more convenient just to like know things and just be able to articulate them. Right. Like have to get to that place where I'm like, you know, sitting, looking at the thing and, and so on. And not that that's not interesting, but, yeah, it just seems less helpful to me
2: over time.
1: And so the thing that I found, which is, and I totally agree with that. And the thing that I found that is helpful is that it's totally okay. This is one of the places where the kind of fake it till you make it actually works in magic,
0: Yeah.
1: which is, and I talk about it in the book is kind of talk to yourself about what you would see.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And part of what happens, I think when we do this for people that aren't kind of super visual in that space and I am not super visual in that space And what it did for me was it began to kind of break that need to see everything in Technicolor Mm because it's like I was proceeding anyway. So whatever part of me was resisting getting what visual information I do get kind of gave up. Um, And so to me, once I get, if you get into a space, play with what's in that space rather than necessarily going, I want contact. So for me, uh, the majority of my work I do in the West, in the West where I go is very moist, Mm -hmm. a little bit of fog, but it's not foggy, but it's more like the, you know, you see the wisps of fog through the trees in the forest sometimes kind of thing. And I try to, if I'm not kind of getting the uh, the feeling that I'm in super well, I'll start trying to get a little more about whatever. So if I notice that, There's water running. What does that feel like? What is that? What is that? What is my sensation on my skin feel like? Uh, Do I want, am I cold? Am I, uh, am I warm? Uh, Can I hear the water? Is the water like drippy? Uh, uh, Can I find water that I could drink?
2: Uh,
1: Which is, you know, if you're talking to the fairies, this is not recommended, but I'm always all for Drinking the water when I can in the other world, um, but uh, and that type of process is the thing that's really worked well for me, uh, and it kind of syncs up to kind of the main theme in the book, I think, which is kind of yeah, go as deep as you can with wherever you are, rather than trying to add more to it
0: mm-hmm. and
1: see what happens. Um,
0: yeah, for me, I did. The, I used to do this process a lot, which I still sometimes do. Um, which is I would sort of, as I started sliding into trance, I would start picturing myself on this path into the woods, right? Right. And, And as I was walking, I would sort of focus on the idea of walking the path in the woods until I could hear crunching of the gravel on the path under my feet. Right. And then I would pick up a set number of stones and drop them back and hear them dropping back. And then after I'd accomplished that, then I would put my hand on the tree and feel the bark and what that felt like. And then at that point I would turn and see that I was at the end of the path and it was opening up into wherever I was going, which was usually the same place. Right. Like very structured pieces. It sort of emerged though, not from the the notion that like, you know, I'm going to go like, if you're going to visit somewhere very structured, there's structured ways to get there. right? Like, right path workings on the tree of life like there's tons of great stuff on that and go look at that but for me it was like there's this thing where i started to notice this stuff and it was that dance back and forth between noticing what what i was experiencing and then engaging back with it back and forth and then that right over a few months into that process
2: right
1: and and that's i would say that yeah very similar things so again like if i go to the west and i'm not feeling like I'm at a place where I can connect with the things that I deal with yet. Then I'll, I'll find a spring. That's kind of the, that's, that's one of my things. It's like, I want water running off of a rock. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then that's a place where I can kind of wash my hands or bless myself with that water or drink some of that water and then continue from there. And it kind of is this, just a process of deepening that, um, You know, when the allies show up, not necessarily, I don't tend to go very hard with them if they do show up. Uh, It's just kind of like, what goes on here? (laughs) You know, what, is there anything you want to show me? Mm -hmm. Uh, Is there, uh, because usually I find that uh, uh, trance is not the place that I initially go for answers to questions unless I already have somebody that I know I can go visit to do that with. Mm -hmm. So it's really just about making those connections and like what shows up for me in here. Uh, is there something going on for me in this space? And a lot of times it takes a long time. Uh, there's places that I go back to repeatedly, um, dozens of times before anything really happens. Uh, that's of any, you know, describable import. Um, mm-hmm. And so I think it's just time and, and and yeah, seeing what happens, like it was really interesting, like
2: when I started traveling to the west, I would go to the ocean a lot mm-hmm. and um For the last five years, there has been nothing for me to do at the ocean,
1: <laughs> yeah. so I kind of don't go there. If I yeah. get called there, and which happens, that's happened a couple of times, but in general, like this is kind of boring. Uh, this is not my place where there's uh, there's other spaces that are, are far more interesting and where I actually have work to do. And that's where the allies are generally waiting for me. Uh, and again, I think it's probably different for everybody. I mean, I, I go to very few places, uh, but I go to those places very frequently. Uh, in kind of the same thing on the entity front or deity front. I work with very few, but I tend to work with them as much as I can to do the work that I want. Uh, like the idea of having 72 spirits or something to work with is like, why, uh, yeah. you know, what's this? <laughs> what, what would I do with that? That's more friends than I have. shot.
2: <laughs> I don't know what to do with all of them. <laughs>
0: yeah, yeah. yeah. I think that's, I think that's, um, you know, people, people ask me like, you know, what what deck is the best or what, you know, whatever. Like, and I mean, I have one deck. I read with it. I have three unopened copies in a drawer because it's out of print. And if, if it doesn't come back in print, I don't want to be sad down the road that I can't replace it, you know? And mm-hmm. like, and, and before I worked with this deck, which has been the last number of years, you know, at some point I, I worked with another deck for like the better part of, I don't know, somewhere between 15 and 20 years exclusively. And and I think that there's something that, there there are different things that come, right? But coming, there's something that comes out of, so you know, you talk about devotion, right? You know, sort of being devoted to a deck or to something particular. I think it brings about a different quality of change than, you know, that having 72 friends or 72 decks or whatever. And I don't know that either is bad, but sometimes I don't understand what's on the other side of that equation because it's so far from my journey with things. Right. That that I don't know what to do with it, you know?
1: No. And I, I totally think that there's, there's, I don't, I know folks that work extensively with, you know, whether it's Goesha or Anakian or, uh, all sorts of different systems that are incredibly involved and and, and it appears to work well for them so it's not I have no issue with it but for me that's definitely not my approach um you know it's like I kind of covet another guitar but I've got two acoustics and one electric and I don't really need one uh to do what I do and so it's kind of like that just hangs out on the back burner and I like to mm-hmm. shop for them, but I don't like actually to pull the trigger for them. Right. Uh and same as you, even though I read with cards very limited, you know, uh I recently found one deck that reads really beautifully for me and I have four copies of it because uh-huh. it That's was fine. going it was going out of print. Um I use the what is this guy? It's this guy. It's the uh Arcana deck from Dead on Paper. Okay. It's a playing card tarot deck. Mm-hmm. So it's You know, it's poker-sized, but it has the full trumps. uh, And court cards are all fully arted up, but all of the suit cards are uh, playing cards.
2: Nice.
1: And it reads really well for
2: me. Yeah, I
1: I, I bought it. I got two of them, started reading with it, and was like, oh, hell, these are about to go out of print and had to track down two more just in case. Mm
2: -hmm. So,
0: it's awesome so when you're one of the other things we were talking about i mean we've been talking a lot about trance stuff right but i mean one of the other things that we it certainly is in your book right it's certainly you know i know it's part of your practice is also this process of like doing work right right do you do you do your work when you're in trance do you do your work elsewhere <laughs> um
1: The answer is yes to all of those. Uh, And this is the other thing. I was thinking about this in response to the deepening trance work. And so this is one of the methods that I do really like for that. And I forgot about it earlier. So thank you for the question too. Um, Most of what I do on the surface is offerings. uh, And then asking the people that I have a regular offering practice with for help. Um, which is just talking. Um, and then I do a lot of kind of simple candle magic as I talk about in the book and I do a lot of sigil magic. Um, I also do, that's almost the wrong approach, uh, related to that. And in is that there's an aspect of all that work that I do in trance, um, there's very little that I do that I could define as being discrete work. Some of the sigils are, and some of the candle magic is, where this is the only thing I'm doing is I'm going to ask this once for this one thing. Almost everything is done as an overview or as a, as a piece of a bigger whole, uh, which is kind of the ship that I talk about in the book is um, this whole magic thing in my life and all of its aspects are, in general focused in one kind of coherent direction um and i'll use different tools to sort out pieces that need to change or to steer that kind of the, the whole thing um but i'm rarely doing anything super specific that is separate from that uh, if we were just looking at kind of percentage-wise, you know, maybe 5% of stuff is going, hey, I want this, or I need a little more oomph over here, or can we make this stop?
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and so that tends to be that I'm getting information on the trance side, I'm getting what I kind of, what I refer to as body work over there, uh, I get a lot of experiences with the things that I deal with in trance kind of putting their, their themselves into my body, and it's, it feels kind of like physical body work. Mm-hmm. Uh, to, and my experience of it is, is that they're kind of adjusting psychic structures or clearing blocks or removing kind of bad attachments. Um, and so that's often one of the places where if I'm doing a lot of work for something one of the allies will offer some some assistance either in thinking about it or in this kind of bodywork approach um, and that totally uh so they're all they're all very integrated um and then the other piece, which is the one that I mentioned is helpful for getting into trance that I do is uh and I don't do this all the time, but it's a really useful technique that. Um, can be worked with if you've got a pretty solid trance space. And if you're using the book, I would do this in the 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 upper workspace in the tower that I talk about, which is kind of a, a just a, a mostly empty working room that has a table in it. And so that's the first place I would try this. And what you do is in the waking world, get a box, get a wooden box um, and clean it up and then paint it in some way that's really clear. So, you know, mine is like blue or black and has big blue, dark blue circles on all the sides and on the top. So it's really clearly this box. And I think it's important to make it, there be no questions there. Um, and it's really, mine is really simple because again, my visualization skills aren't that great. Um, and what I will do sometimes is if I know I need a little different angle of work is i'll put the components for that work i'll do whatever kind of ritual or spell work i'm going to do and then all of those pieces go into the box so if i'm going to do candle magic i might you know inscribe two candles and prep one of them and burn one of them and the other one goes into the box Uh, and if there's a sigil that goes with it that goes into the box or if there is a talisman that goes with it, that goes into the box or a crystal or something like that and then put that box together when in, in, in whatever your working space is, closed up, and go on about your day or whatever. And then when you go into trance, go into, in this case, that tower space, and go in knowing that that box is going to be available to you uh and so i'll walk into that space if it's not already on the table i kind of imagine that i'm going to reach into the boxes usually in the shop here uh into the shop from the tower and bring that box in with me and then i'll do that spell work from that space in trance and that's one of the most useful things that i've found for really it doesn't necessarily improve your visualization or anything in trance but as far as it concretizes what's going on. Yeah. Uh, it builds a really solid link between your kind of more normal consciousness in that space that you get into in trance work.
0: It's awesome. Yeah. I think, I think figuring out how to like connect here to there in as many ways as possible is definitely the way to go.
1: Yeah. <laughs> it definitely makes everything work better. Uh, yeah. In my experience for sure
0: cool so we've been talking for a while here so maybe we're at that point where we should say hey go buy Aiden's book it's fantastic <laughs> if you're not already following Aiden go follow Aiden you know yeah <laughs> um, where, where where, should people come find you
1: um, I'm at AidenWachter.com uh, I'm Aiden AidenWachter on everything uh, except you can probably find me as Aiden Walker on Twitter too but it's Silphersmith the old Norse spelling on Twitter Uh, but Aiden Wachter on Facebook I've got a page Aiden Wachter talismanic jewelry Uh, the book is available generally all the online sources I'm too busy with jewelry to try and deal with distribution so uh, there's really no no stores have it as far as I know Um, and yeah I'm just generally around if you do a search for Aiden Wachter talismanic jewelry you will find something that will lead you to all the rest of it
0: that's awesome well, thank you for making the time to chat today. Absolutely. Hey, my friends. I hope you enjoyed listening to Aiden and I talk about uh, magic and his book and all of these experiences and things that we've been up to. We also recorded a bonus for the Patreon. So if you'd like to hear Aiden's thoughts on uh, charging and building relationships with talismans, including reviving those ones that might have been abandoned for one reason or another for a period of time jump over to the patreon support the podcast at the five dollar mark and you'll get access to that episode as well as all the past bonus episodes and all the future great bonus stuff that i've got lined up for you that's at patreon.com slash the hermit's lamp
2: i use the link in the show notes